Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. That's right. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. I'm Chua Tian with your market view. Now, U.S. and Asian economies at the front and center of our discussion today. Now, over in the U.S., the Fed has raised interest rates by yet another 75 basis points overnight in a bid to fight runaway inflation, which hit 8.2% on year in September. Now, while the Fed's decision was largely in line with market expectations, we want to deep dive into the Fed's statement and Jerome Powell's comments on whether a slowdown in rate hikes is in, is in sight rather and what will this mean for Asian economies going forward and elsewhere Russia suspending its participation in a Turkish and UN brokered deal earlier in the week uh, that's a deal that allowed Ukraine to resume grain exports uh, back then now some twists and turns there as well new developments today but to what extent will this push up prices of commodities in major Asian economies such as Indonesia? Now, back home, Singapore's factory activity slowed for a second straight month to reach 49.7 points. Contraction territory there, what does this signal about the health of the country's manufacturing sector? Now, helping us out as we break down all these burning questions is Selena Ling, Chief Economist at OCBC Bank. Hi, Selena, are you there? Hi, Tian Hi, Selena, great to talk to you after uh, all this time. Let's start with the US. The Fed's interest rate hike just out overnight, 75 basis points uh, rate hike. But this is not so much of a surprise. The devil's always in the details, isn't it? Markets participants probably combing through the Fed statement and Jerome Powell's comments as we are speaking. Are we getting any hints that the central bank could dial back on interest rate hikes this year? Not likely, isn't it? Well, I think it's a little bit of a mixed message because mm. I think uh, if you look at the FOMC minutes, uh, they basically said, well, you know, the front loading of all these aggressive rate hikes is done. So they are likely to dial back from the 75 basis points, which they have done four times back to back already. So maybe around 50 basis points for December. But I think, like you said, the devil's in the details because uh, Fed Chair Powell actually said it's still very, very premature to be even be thinking about pausing and then he delivered the killer, which was really that he thinks that the terminal <laughs> rates will be even higher than what was initially expected. So I think markets kind of like trying to wrap their heads around that, you know, the Fed funds rate could potentially go above 5%. Right. So if it goes beyond 5% peak rate, what does it mean for the U.S. economy going forward? I think the risk, of course, that for a policy error is there. You know, uh, if they go into very restrictive territory, that's going to have an impact on both business and consumer confidence. And if that precipitates, you know, a slowdown in terms of CAPEX investments and hiring intentions, and then consumers pull back on their spending, you know, then you could actually get a sharper downturn. So, you know, Powell did acknowledge that it's going to get harder and harder to try and, you know, stage a soft landing from here. Right. With us guessing where the Fed is going to go, Fed rates peaking at above 5%, what would that mean for Asian economies and which are the countries that are the biggest gainers or biggest losers? I think Asian central banks have generally been on the alert because their inflation prints have also been heading much higher this mm. year. But the aggressive pace of the Fed rate hikes did put pressure uh, through the FX market adjustments because of the yield differential. So capital flows were kind of like moving out of EM and back into you know, the US because of the strong dollar and the aggressive Fed rate hikes. So I guess if they are slowing down the pace of rate hikes going forward, um, that could be positive, meaning that the yield differentials will not uh, you know, widen much further from here. 
But that's it, because they also telegraphed that they're not fully done with rate hikes yet. So it's going to be more of a gradual step up, and that will mean that you know Asian central banks can also not rest on the laurels when it comes to fighting inflation yet as well. Hmm. And before we deep dive into Asian economies and what's going on in, in Singapore as well, I'd like to take a look at what's going on in the Black Sea in the meantime. Uh, Russia, earlier in the week, as I was crafting the question, it suspended its participation in this Turkish and UN brokered deal that allowed Ukraine to resume grain exports. Now, since then, we've seen some U-turns. Now, even though Russia is back in the deal, it says it could pull out of the grain deal again. So, to what extent will this add on to inflation woes in Asia and who will be the most affected? Well, I think, you know, this policy U-turns by Russia uh, kind of like reflects that, you know, this Russian-Ukraine conflict is going to have fairly long-lasting nature mm. on the commodity and the food uh, inflation story and food security in particular. So if you look within Asia, of course, um, you know, Ukraine being a big wheat exporter uh, and wheat goes into a whole range of food products, it will have continued uh, supply chain type of uh, disruptions to Asian supplies. I mean, you take Indonesia, for example, right? right. Um, you know, wheat will go into all your Indomie and stuff like that. <laughs> but as my Indonesian economist tells me, actually, Indonesians still eat more rice than noodles. Mm-hmm. So on the whole, uh, there will be some impact. But I think generally, uh, you know, it, there, there are some offsets from here. But I think at the crux of the matter is that if the Russian-Ukraine war continues to persist into next year, Generally, we expect that, you know, food inflation will continue to also persist and structurally inflation prints may not quite go back to what they were pre-COVID, even though a lot of the supply chain issues Mm. are kind of trying to be resolved over time. Right. And now, if you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Selina Ling, Chief Economist at OCBC Bank. Well, Selina, back home uh, in Singapore, the Purchasing Managers Index for October was out just last night. Any surprises there is in the contraction uh, territory? What does it suggest about the health of Singapore's economy? Well, it was not really surprising that we saw a contraction again in October. Right. Second time for the manufacturing sector, third time for the electronics uh, sector. These are the weakest prints since June 2020. I suppose we can take some comfort from the fact that they are not quite exactly near the lows that we saw in April 2020, which was below the 45 uh, 45 handle. But that said, you know, I think the writing was really on the wall already because if you look at the business survey expectations for the manufacturing sector that was out earlier, generally they are very, very bearish. And a lot of that is due to what's happening in the electronics, especially the semiconductor side. So, you know, U.S.-China uh, trade tensions continue. Right. In fact, the U.S. has an export ban on uh, chip going to China and they're thinking of expanding it further to quantum computing and AI, etc. So I guess the global industry for electronics is going through a very challenging time. The headaches are probably over. And I think going out from here, I do expect that manufacturing and electronics will probably remain in the doldrums for the fourth quarter, even though typically it's actually... a uh, you know, because of the peak uh, year-end uh, holiday season, it really tends to be a better uh, season on a historical basis. But I guess that's not going to happen this year. Hmm. All right, Selena, many months ago where we were having this conversation about the manufacturing scene here in Singapore, we were talking about the protracted semicon shortage and all that. But it seems like tides have changed. But is there any telling uh, when the semiconductor industry, especially in Singapore, could recover? I think it's still too early for that because if you look at all the big tech companies, 
they are basically guiding that the outlook, especially on the demand side, has softened quite a fair bit. So with all this heightened, you know, recession risk that, you know, the Eurozone and UK and possibly even the US is facing, I think, um, you know, like what I mentioned earlier, a lot of consumers will be kind of like tightening their purse strings when it mm. comes to buying consumer end products. So I guess from here, actually the services side uh, would really be the silver lining for Singapore. You know, with the reopening and the relaxation of a lot of the COVID restrictions, we are starting to see overseas tourists come back in a big way. And also for MICE events, the pipeline looks fairly strong. So FMB, hospitality, uh, aviation, um, possibly even on the transport side because airplanes still need all the maintenance and repair mm. operations. So uh, services side, I think, would really be doing the heavy lifting from here instead of manufacturing. All right. So looking at the Singapore's manufacturing sector alone, where do you think it's headed going forward, at least for the next year? Which sectors continue to remain as bright spots or which segments within manufacturing remains a bright spot? Well, if you look at what is uh, still generating uh, positive growth for the manufacturing sector, Mm. it's really your transport engineering, like I mentioned, on the aviation side, because all the airplanes coming back into service require a lot of uh, maintenance. And I think the other uh, positive uh, side really would be what we call the general manufacturing. So a lot of the uh, activity that is revolving around food and uh, beverages because of this whole uh, food security, people trying to scramble to have, uh, you know, enhanced food supply in Singapore is actually well positioned for that, which is nice for a change. Right. And finally, before we let you go, Selena, the Singapore economy uh, is expected to slow to a pace that is below trend next year. But knowing what we know about the manufacturing sector right now, how do you expect GDP numbers to look like for the whole of this year and the whole of next year? Well, for the three quarters for this year, we're already seeing above 4% growth. So even if we get manufacturing basically faltering in the fourth quarter, I think uh, fourth quarter GDP growth would still be around the 2% handle. And for full year, it's likely to come in around 3.7%. But next year, I think the policymakers have uh, clearly telegraphed they are expecting below trend growth. And this is not unexpected because of all that is happening you know, in the major markets like US, UK and Eurozone and even the China slowdown story. So I am looking for below trend growth would probably kind of like be in the 1% to 2% kind of range for now. And I think that's a fairly uh, conservative but probably realistic range. All right. Thank you very much, Selena. Always a pleasure chatting. That was Selena Ling, Chief Economist at OCBC Bank. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.